I'd like to preach a message entitled, The God of the Mountain is Still God of the Valley. Amen. The God of the Mountain is still God in the Valley. I want to say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that you would challenge us today. Move deeply in this house. Thank you for all you've done. But God, I know you've got some more to do. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Syria had formed a coalition of some 32 kings and an army of over 100,000. They lined up against Israel, demanded Israel to surrender. Syria's king was Ben-Hadad, which from now on I'm going to call him Benadad because that's easier to say. And Israel's king was Ahab. Ahab was not prepared for this threat. He had no army mustered at the time, this first battle. And even if he did, it would have been at best a 20 to 1 ratio as far as Syrians to Israelites. Benadad had Ahab pinned down. He just needed Ahab to tap out. So he sent his terms of surrender to Ahab. And the terms were this, give me your silver, your gold, your wife, your children. And because Ahab was not a man of faith, he saw no way out. He had no vision. He was faithless. He couldn't see how his army or how his God could get him out of this mess. <laughs> so true to his weak nature, which we see throughout the scripture, Ahab surrendered, agreed to Benadad's terms. Here's my money, here's my wife, here's my babies. Now in his defense, Ahab's wife was Jezebel, right? I'm just saying, so maybe he was like, you can have her, you know. <coughs> Good luck with that. Reminds me of that state trooper, you know, he was, he was chasing this car, this car was speeding, going like 85 and a 70. And the state trooper turns his lights on and gets to going faster. The guy speeds up. He's going like 90. He's going 95. State trooper's got his lights on, Randy. He's got his sirens blaring. He goes to 100, 110. Trooper's just hauling it, trying to get to him. Radioing, I got a guy, I got a, I got a runner. He's, he's finally, the guy pulls over after about 115 miles an hour. The state trooper comes up to the car, gun drawn. What are you doing? What are you doing? He said, I'm sorry, officer. He said, last month my wife ran off with a state trooper, and I thought you were that poor guy trying to bring her back to me. I shouldn't have told that joke. So maybe, you know, Jezebel wasn't so much of a loss. Here's the deal, though. <clears throat> Benadad was doing to Israel what was typical for the day. Syria was trying to make Israel a vassal state, is the technical term, trying to neutralize the threat that Israel posed to, to make them part of their network, their alliance, their block. Think of the old school Soviet bloc countries like Czechoslovakia and Poland back in the day. They were trying to neutralize their threat 
and Ahab just bowed the knee immediately. And then after Ahab agreed to the terms, but before he had followed through and sent his money and his wife and his kids over to Benadad, Benadad got greedy. He sent word back and said, my representatives are on their way. I'm going to send them through your palace and the houses of your officials, Ahab, and anything they want, they can take. Well, at that, Ahab consulted with his officials, the elders of Israel, and they told Ahab, you need to quit negotiating with this guy. This is not, this is not going well. Ahab heeded the elders' advice and sent word back to Benadad, you can have my money, you can have my wife, you can have my kids, but you can't go rummaging through our stuff. Now, can you imagine what I just told you? Can you imagine with me for a minute? Ahab was willing to lose what is most precious to most of us in order to avoid a fight with a sworn enemy of God and to the king of Israel, Wallace. God never entered into the equation. Faith was never a factor in his decision. Ahab was willing to sacrifice his family and finances just to keep from fighting even though God had promised him, I'll curse those that curse you. I'll show myself strong on your behalf. Later the prophet would say, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And and. and God had already proven himself time after time by this point. God had proven he would fight for his covenant people. He heard their cry and got them out of Egypt. He got them through the wilderness. He got them across the Red Sea. He got them into the promised land. And just a few months before what we read, Ahab saw the fire of God fall and consume Elijah's sacrifice and the drought ended and the rains came and the Baal spell was broken. He had seen that with his own eyes and yet here he is giving away the farm. There are too many believers who would rather surrender than fight. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't engage in the fight that faith requires, it will affect negatively your marriage and your kids and your finances. I'm telling you, we have an enemy who has come not just to make terms of surrender, but to steal, kill, and destroy everything you've got. And he wants to neutralize you as a threat and take everything you've got He knows that you're a child of the Most High God. And if you ever engage him, you're going to win. The devil wants to keep you out of the fight. And may I remind you, this is a fight. This is a war. I remember a scripture that says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Ephesians 6.12 We wrestle not. Some people would like to just stop right there. We don't wrestle. But that's not what he's saying. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But we do wrestle, is the implication, against principalities, the rulers of the darkness of this world. I'm just telling you, this is a fight. We're supposed to engage the enemy. 
Faith requires it. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, You resist the devil and he will flee from you. Not surrender, not make deals, not compromise. You resist him. And here's the deal. You don't just fight when it looks like the odds are in your favor. You don't just fight when it looks like a guaranteed win for you. In my journey of faith, I have seldom fought in that spirit realm where at first I felt like I was going to win. I have seldom fought in that realm where I felt like it was a sure win. Our feelings really have nothing to do with it. But I'll tell you one thing. I serve a God who the Bible says always causes us to triumph. Let me tell you, when you're really walking in faith and standing in faith, when it looks impossible and you're still walking and you're still fighting anyway, let me tell you, when, when you fight this good fight of faith, when, it, when you're really doing it, when it looks like everything is going against you and you're going to lose everything, even when it looks impossible and feels hopeless, I want to tell you something. Never surrender. Never back down. Never give in. Never give up because I serve a God who always causes us to triumph. Come on, give him some praise right now. Can you do it? Thank you, Jesus. Ahab was a compromising coward who was willing to sacrifice the next generation to avoid the fight that faith required. He was selfish and short-sighted. He didn't want to fight. He didn't want the risk. He didn't want to get his hands dirty. Now, his ancestors would have rolled over in their graves. He didn't come from people like that. They would have never stood for this. You remember when Pharaoh said to the children of Israel, Hey, you guys, you could go out in the wilderness and worship, but just leave your, your babies, your kids. Leave your kids here. It'll be all right. What did Moses say? Ain't no way. Absolutely not. We're all going. We're not leaving our animals, our stuff, our money. As a matter of fact, we're going to take stuff you have and we're leaving this place. They never would have surrendered the way Ahab did. Ahab here, he's just giving it all up. Sure, you can have my money. You can have my family. You can have my future. He was willing to sell his future, the future, at the expense of the present just to avoid a fight. And here's the deal. When it comes to the devil, it's never enough. Hell is never satisfied. There's a scripture in Isaiah that says hell has enlarged itself. Hell is never satisfied. And Benadad decided, I'm going to attack Israel anyway. I wanted just your wife, your babies, your silver, your gold. You've not given me the stuff in your house. Isn't there, I'm just going to come get everything. And at, at this time, God sent a prophet to Ahab. This prophet's unnamed. An unnamed man of God brought a message to Ahab that changed the course of history for the nation of Israel. 
Aren't you grateful for a God called, God sent man or woman of God? A man or a woman of God that speaks into your life is a gift from Almighty God. That preacher is the blessing and favor of God. And if you'll listen to the preacher God's put in your life, it really can change your life forever. I'm telling you, I know that sounds self-serving, but it really can change your life forever for the good. And the preacher is a gift. The Bible says that when Jesus rose, he gave gifts unto men, and he gave some to be. One of them is a pastor, amen? He gave gifts to men. I want to be that man of God in your life, but if I'm not, you better find one, one that will speak the truth, one who doesn't just tickle your ears and tell you what you want to hear, but who challenges you to higher heights and deeper depths in the faith. And I love what the man of God says to Ahab. He says, Ahab, you should have never surrendered. You need to take that back. Never surrender. As a matter of fact, put together an army. Ahab is stunned. What? This is totally opposite of what he thought he should do. He fumbles around and asks the prophet, where am I going to get an army? The prophet looks at him and says in verse 14, from the young leaders in the provinces. In other words, the victory was going to come from the generation that Ahab was willing to sell out as slaves to Syria just to stay out of the fight. The victory was going to come through those young people who were considered to be expendable by Ahab. Now, this is not my message. I mentioned it, but, man, I've just felt it so strong today. I'm telling you, church, there is an army of young people that is rising up. Millennials, Gen Xers, Gen Y, Gen Z, all that stuff. Even though previous generations may have refused to fight for the core of the covenant, this generation is different. And this generation will shake the world for Jesus Christ. I believe that. Some of us were in Indianapolis this year. I saw 33,000 of them at North American Youth Congress worshiping God, lifting up the name of Jesus, standing out and being different. And there are millions and millions more that God is raising up. There is a generation that's coming on the scene that will do great exploits for the Lord. And I believe it with all my heart. I feel like God spoke to me today. There are Shadrachs and Meshachs and Abednegoes and Daniel who are in this room today. A generation that will never bow to the idols of this age. You got to hear what I'm saying. You need to hear what I'm saying. Some of you young lifers, my God, I've been burdened for you. I can hear you now saying, let me look at y'all. I can hear you now. Some of you, you're just, you're so young. Think back on your life, uh, older people, older young people. Think about the mistakes you made as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult. If you didn't make any, if you're over the age of 30, I mean, that's young, me, but if, you, if you're over the age of 30 and you didn't make a mistake at those younger years, raise your hand. 
oh my goodness, there's nobody. No, even Heather Malasal's dad. Now she, she's told me you were perfect, but lo and behold, didn't even raise his hand. Here's the deal, y'all. We've all made mistakes, and I've heard uh, to be so. The devil wants our young people to make mistakes at an early age and immediately convince them you'll never rise any higher, you'll never go any further, God can't use you, you've already messed up so bad. I'm telling you, we're all trophies of grace. I don't know what, you, what you're thinking. We're all trophies of grace here, y'all. We've all made mistakes, fallen short of the glory of God. There's some young lifers just saying, I've already disqualified myself to be used by God. You don't understand, Pastor. I know you don't think it, but I've drunk. I slept around. I smoked this or that. I've been stupid on social media. You hear your pastor today, I'm telling you, you need to get back up. You need to confess and forsake your sin. You need to make a fresh commitment to the Lord and get back in the fight because God wants to use you for his glory to do awesome things. Come on, give God some praise right now. We need more kids going on mission trips around the world. We send them every year. I'd love to send a dozen of them. We need kids working at summer camp every year. I'm telling you, God can use you young people in your home, on your campus, among your peers, reaching the homeless, feeding the poor. God can use you right here at Life Point. And I know some of you think, man, you know, the old people run Life Point, people in their 30s and 40s, you know, ancient people. What can I bring to the table? You have no idea how powerful, how impacting you are, how influential you are, how encouraging you are. And there is an army that God is wanting to raise up here at LifePoint, not of 30s and 40s. Yes, he's going to do that. But of some teenagers and 20s and young adults, some junior hires that God raises up to buck the tide and to do what previous generations should have done but didn't do. You can do it, I'm telling you, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. The enemy, Benedad, and his gang, they totally underestimated the generation of young leaders in 1 Kings 20. Do you know what those 32 kings were doing as those young princes were getting together and organizing? They were in the king's tent, and they had a keg. They were tailgating. It was a pre-war party. The Bible says they drank themselves drunk. I'm not going to show for a show of hands, right? They drank themselves drunk. They totally underestimated this generation. They thought there's no way they will ever defeat us. Listen, the numbers went like this, 127,000 to 232 princes that mustered an army of about 7,000. So you got 7,232 on Israel's side and 127,000 
on Syria's side. Syria not only saw themselves as numerous but more advanced. They were known for their horses and chariots, iron weapons and all the stuff that they had. One scholar I was reading after this week said that Israel was known as a nation who had an army of donkeys. Syria was known for their horses and chariots. Now, although Israel had some chariots and some horses, they had a lot of donkeys. They were known for their donkeys. Can you imagine the sight of a donkey charge in a valley, right? That's not too threatening. You see the chariots and the horses fiercely running, and then here come the donkeys, you know. I'll never forget one time I was driving home down 55, and we lived in Abita Springs, and we were cutting over somewhere out in the A-Mead or somewhere over there. And we, it was me and Caleb and Lizzie in our uh, town and country minivan. And we had come back from the great white north, and we were going back to Abita. And I took this little country road, and I topped a hill. And I'm telling you, there, it looked like thousands of donkeys out on this, this field, out in this, this uh, uh, pasture. And, and, the, and the kids were asleep. I woke them up. I'm like, hey, wake up. I pulled over the side. I said, look, donkey, right? The donkey is out there. Lots and lots. It was stunning. You know, we, this is pre-social you know, media and all that, but that would have been a picture right there. Just all these donkeys. Can you imagine that? They were known for the, I'll tell you something about donkeys, though. You don't want to ride a horse down the steep stuff at the Grand Canyon, right? You'd rather ride a donkey because that donkey is going to plod along, but it's going to be sure-footed. You can count on it. And that's what this generation was. They weren't all that to look at, but they were going to be where they needed to be when they needed to be there. This generation was coming on the scene, and Syria had no idea what awaited them when they went into battle. But I'll tell you what awaited them, an absolute defeat and rout by the people of God, the young people of God who got to ride in their donkeys. And it says each one killed the one he needed to kill. And when it was all said and done, the Bible says they killed all of the army of Syria. And what's interesting to me is the same way that Benadad underestimated Israel and that generation, Ahab underestimated them too. Ahab set himself in agreement with Benadad and those 32 pagan kings. Ahab didn't even try. Ahab didn't think it could be done But the younger generation did it anyway. I'm telling you, the enemy has all but written off this younger generation, underestimated this generation, and some leaders and elders of the church have gotten into agreement with the enemy. I just don't see how we can have a future. But I'm here to tell you the truth is the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Elijah's the one that said it. Look around. The forces that are with us are greater than the forces that are against us. We're going to do it, Brendan. We're going to do it, Young Life. Say amen. No, Young young Life, say amen. Yes, we're going to do it. I'm young. And I live, so I'm Young Life. 
The prophet warned in the spring after this defeat, the prophet warned in the spring, Benadad will be back. He added, you need to strengthen yourselves and prepare for war because he's going to come back. He's going to get another army. He just lost his entire army. He's going to get another one and bring them back. And sure enough, when the spring rolled around, Benadad had assembled another army of 127,000. But then they got theological. The prophets and seers from these pagans said, Israel's God is territorial. He's a localized God. We've discerned. He's only God on the mountain. And that's where they defeated us last time. So here's what needs to happen. We need to fight them in the valley. We need to lure them into the valley because their God is not powerful in the valley. He's only a God of the mountain. And that's where we're certain to win. They thought God's territorial. He, he just is localized. He only works in certain places. He works there but not here. The devil thinks he can get you out of your place, out of your territory, and then he can defeat you. If he can get you out of this building, then he can defeat you. He's thought if he could get... He thought if he could get Job out of his mansion and into the poorhouse that Job would just give up and give in. He thought if he could get Job's stuff and his kids and his health that Job would just curse God and die. But the devil found out <coughs> excuse me, otherwise. I'm here to tell you the devil is a liar, the devil is a thief, and the God of the mountain is still God in the valley no matter what you're facing. No matter what you're going through, God is still on the throne. Your season of life may have changed. You just need to trust him. Act in faith because he'll come through on the mountain or in the valley. These young princes led again, and and they took 100,000 this day. They took (coughs) 100,000. Excuse me. They took 100,000, killed them that day. One day, and 27,000 escaped back to Aphek. This is crazy. They're terrified. They have to be terrified. Numbers are totally stacked against them. They go racing back to Aphek, 27,000 of them, and a wall falls on them and kills the rest of them. It's as if God was saying, are you kidding me? You don't think I can act in a valley? And you would think they had heard of the walls of Jericho, right? Like when you deal with Israel, just stay away from a wall, you know, because it's probably going to come down. And if you're resisting God, it may just fall on you. I mean, there's a woman back in Judges took a stone and just a little piece of the wall and threw it and took out a guy. You just better not get up near a wall if you're resisting the Lord, the people of God. 27,000 died when this wall fell on them. Won't you stand with me right now? The God of the mountain is still God in the valley. Some of you, you've gone through different seasons of life. You've had victories maybe at another church, maybe at a different age, maybe when things were completely different in your life. Maybe you didn't have that addiction. Maybe you didn't have that family circumstance that's risen up. Maybe you weren't facing that disease or that sickness. 
Then you're like, man, those were the days. God moved there and then. But I'm here to tell you, the God of the mountain is still God in the valley. Right where you are. He said of himself, I am the Lord. I change not. I'm telling you, life has a way and ebb and flow. Things change. Seasons come and go. But our God remains the same. He's all powerful. He can meet you right where you are. Touch you right where you are. Meet your every need right where you are. doesn't matter. He's still on the throne. Amen. He still holds the world in His hands. He still loves you with an everlasting, undying love. And it doesn't matter how dark this world is and how people have written off young life. There's an army rising up. going to be straight up with y'all. I'm just, I am tired. I'm a, you, you adults, this, this applies to you, but I'm, I'm talking to young life right now. I'm tired of passionless worship. I'm tired of half-hearted living for God. Live for God in this building. Live like the devil outside of this building. Y'all don't think I know stuff. I know stuff. Do what you want to do. Live any way you want to live. Come in. Praise the Lord. You know, good to be here. Making compromises. Making deals with the devil. The devil is never satisfied. It's never enough. Young people, I'm telling you, it's never enough. The best thing you can do is just bow the knee to the Almighty God. And say, okay, Lord, today is the day the Lord has made. And from this moment on, no deals with the devil. If I fall, I'm getting back up. But I want you to use me for your glory, God. I'm going to put everything I have in your direction. I'm going to give you everything I have. I'm going to clean up my iPad. I'm going to clean up my, my cell phone. I'm going to clean up my, my notebook. I'm going to clean up my computer. I'm going to clean up my social media. I'm going to get rid of those bogus accounts. I'm making some changes in my life, God, because I will never be the same. You hear this preacher of the living God this is a message from the living God. You've got to get all in before you get all out because that devil has come to steal and kill and destroy. You've got to give him everything you've got. Can you lift your hands right now, church? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I know you didn't come expecting a message like this, but the Holy Ghost has sent me to tell you, you've got to get all in before you get all out. Don't worry about previous generations. You get in. You give it everything you got, and you watch what God does for you as you shake this world from center to circumference. Not half-hearted, not lukewarm, not halfway, all the way. Jesus, people, mission. What do you want from me, God? Here I am. Here's the rest of my life. I surrender it all to you. I surrender it all to you. I come from a long line. I come from a long line of commitment people. Commitment people. To the point that I griped about it sometimes as a kid coming up. It was always commitment. Commit, commit, commit. I'm committed, you know. And they'd push it some more. You've got to give them everything. Give them everything. Trying, you know. I don't want to, it's not comfortable. My friends don't understand. I'd come back and they'd say, you've got to give them everything. 
But you know what? I'm so grateful for that. Because that's what the people of God really are. I ain't talking shallow religious people of God. I'm talking about the people that shake the foundations of hell with their effectiveness in the kingdom. It's commitment type people. Here I am. I ain't perfect. Here I am. You can use anything, Lord. You can use me. I'm available on Monday. I'm available on Tuesday. I'm just telling you, commitment. God's calling us to a place of commitment. I'm church. I'm just telling you. I'm sorry. The way we're flowing. I'm not sorry. We just need to flow this way right now. I want young life. I want you guys to make your way up here. I think we need to pray for young life, and then God wants to move in this congregation as well. God's moving all across this house, some very special ways. Come on, young life, push it. I challenge you, push it. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did this morning. I know a God who knows all and has still sent a word to you to say, listen, if you'll give me everything, I'll use you greatly. I'll do powerful things in your life. Confess it, forsake it. Move on. Get up. Walk on. Be a trophy of grace. I'll use you to preach the gospel. I'll send you to start a church. Maybe you'll raise up a homeless mission. Maybe you'll reach out to those that are being trafficked in human trafficking. Maybe you'll be someone who creates a halfway house and deals with addicts. Maybe God's going to raise you up to do missions work, medical missions. Come on. What's he want from you? What's he want from you? Somebody needs to make a commitment. Come on, intercessors, pray right now. Come on, church, pray right now. Moms and dads, some of you elders, I wish you'd come pray for these young people. Come in faith. Come in faith, though. Come believing. Come speaking positive things over their life. You can do all things through Christ. You can be the man of God. You can be the woman of God God's called you to be.